Thank you for tuning into this teaching. We hope this message blesses you. Our mission as Marigold Church is to do anything and everything so that anyone and everyone can encounter the real Jesus. We hope as you listen to this, you encounter the real Jesus. Let him transform your mind, transform your heart, and encounter you today. Well, good evening, good evening. I'm going to jump right into it. We've been going in through Exodus, and we've gotten so far um, really up to chapter thin, uh, 10 or through chapter 10, and we've gotten into 11 and 12. Last week, I started to, to get into the 10th plague, and, uh, and, and uh, more of an introductory to it, so I'm going to go ahead and continue with that. And with that, I want to go into Exodus chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can read it along and mark it up or, or just read on the screen above. But it's, uh, I'm kind of kind of do a mashup because I, I, just, I want to just take some key, key words uh, from certain scriptures. And, but I'll, I'll share what scriptures they are with you and then, and then we'll go. But Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. In verse 3, he says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Verse 4, I also established my covenant with them. And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel. I'm going to skip down to verse 10 through 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? In Exodus chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, he says, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he may let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. We're knowing and we're learning that we can do one of two things when it comes to God. And there, there's really not a whole lot of else that we can do. We can either humble ourselves to Him or we can harden ourselves to Him. We can humble ourselves to His Word or we can harden ourselves to His Word. We can humble ourselves to His works or we can harden ourselves to his, to his works. And, and, and those two things, to harden ourselves to his word and to harden ourselves to his work is the perfect recipe for a hardened heart. When we have a hardened heart, there's, there's two things that tend to happen. One is almost like a numbness. Have you ever, have you ever been numb? Have you ever just felt numb about life or numb about things. My brother, I just thought of this right now. My brother, we went to the dentist years ago, and my brother's mouth was all shut up with, uh, what is that, was that Novocaine or whatever, where they say it's all numb. And, and he was just going to town. He was young. I guess he was in elementary school. And, uh, man, he was punching himself in the mouth. And he was like, boom, <laughs> just knocking the heck out of him. Look, it doesn't hurt. Boom, and man, he was just doing it to us. I mean, like, like abusing himself, right? I mean, I don't know how many times he hit himself. And then the, and then the numbness wore down, and he was like, oh, my mouth, it hurts. Well, yeah, you've been 
punching yourself in the mouth. But we can become numb. And when we're, when we're numb to things, we don't, we, we don't feel certain things. We don't feel the impact of certain things. My brother certainly didn't feel the impact of his fist to his mouth uh, until he got the feeling back. But, we, but we, can, we can harden ourselves to God's word. And so when we hear God's word, it's easy to just brush it off. It's easy to brush it off, brush it off, brush it off. But there's going to be a time where there, the numbness won't work anymore. And we'll have to face reality. But those are, that is the perfect recipe for hardening our heart. But I want to go to Exodus chapter 11. Because from, from that point in Exodus chapter 7 up until this point in chapter 11, we've had nine plagues. Right. And they've and they've just succeeded one after another. And, and I don't know the time frame that I look at different scholars and they give different time frames. But it, we read it as just one thing right after another. But but there was a, a distance of time in, in this. And so when, when we look at Pharaoh and we see, oh, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart. This was after a, a, a periods of time. And so I. I I tend to say that we love to make ourselves the hero. When we read the story, we want to be the Moses and the Aaron. And then we read it and you look at it and you're like, man, I think I have more in common with, with Pharaoh. I have my, a hardened heart. I have a, a, a way to, to just justify myself and, and forget what God's done in my life and the mercies he, he's had on my life and just brush it off as, as something else. But we can all harden our heart. But we've gone, we see all these nine plagues and every time Pharaoh's hardened his heart and eventually God says, I'm going to give you what you want, Pharaoh. You want a hardened heart, I'm going to give you that hardened heart. And so he, so now it's Pharaoh hardens his heart, God hardens his heart as well. And one of the greatest judgments you and I can ever receive is that we, we get what we want. There's uh, other places in the Bible where the where the children of Israel are complaining and we're actually we'll get to that later. And uh, and the children of Israel are complaining. They want meat. They're tired of this thing called manna. We want meat. And so God sends them meat up to their waist in quail. And he says, you want meat? You got it. Well, that that was it turns out like well, No, get get rid of all this. Get rid of all this. You've heard stories of uh, I I actually I've heard many stories of this, but I actually know of one one guy I went to school with. His name was Robert, where he kept uh, his dad smoked, but his dad didn't want him to smoke, and so he, he you know he dad come on just give me a cigarette just yeah just one just one just one and you know he began to begin to sneak them and his and his dad found out and he and he made him uh, smoke a, a whole carton of cigarettes on a weekend, and he was sick. For weeks, just he, the smell of the smoke would just ugh, just make him gag and everything. And uh, to this day that I know of, I, I follow. I don't know Robert, but I follow him on on Instagram, and I've never seen a single cigarette in his, in his thing. The worst thing was that he could get what he wanted. But in Exodus chapter eleven, verse one through seven, it says, "Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt." After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Now speak or speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver 
and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and the sight of the people. And Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on, the, on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones. All the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Father, we thank you for your presence. I thank you, Lord God, that your healing power is here. I thank you, Lord God, that your word is here. It's alive and living. And I thank you, Lord God, it cuts through the nonsense that we hear day in and day out. I thank you, Lord God, that your word would pierce our hearts today. And that we would be open to receive it, both in love and its correction. In Jesus' name, amen. There's, there's two sides of this, and we see it just like if you have a coin, there's two sides. right? There's, there's the heads and there's the tails. And we see two sides in this story of, of the exodus, the, the, the escape from Egypt. And one side is a story of redemption. And on the other side is a story of damnation. One is a, a story of beauty and the other a story of tragedy. But they go together just like a heads and a tails on a coin would go together. And if we only take one side or if there's only one side presented to us, have you ever had a, a trick coin, a two-headed coin? It's a trick coin. They used to sell them at the magic store. We used to buy stuff for the magic store for, for, the, for the kids and do little object lessons. But they would sell these two-headed coins. And those coins weren't worth anything. They were a forgery. Right? And so when you have a two-headed coin or you just have one side and that's all you're presented with and you don't get the other side, it's really a, it's at, at worst, it's a forgery. At best, it's just incomplete, right? It's just, it's an, it's an error. But there's two sides of the story. There's the story of redemption, but there's the story of damnation. And so there's going to be this reckoning, right, where the people are going to be let go and death is going to come into Egypt. Now, there's been some distinctions in the plagues where the plagues never touched any of the people of Israel, right? Whether it was the plague of the flies, the, the locusts, the, 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 the Nile turning to blood. Oh, there's certain things that affected uh, one more than the other. Obviously, the blood would have affected everyone in some sense, but it was more the Egyptians because they were actually right on the Nile. That was the prime real estate right there. And it, the Israelites were, were, were further away from it. But here they are all together, and yet only the, the, uh, the Egyptians are affected by these plagues. There's also, we see in certain of the plagues, where God calls out and says, if you'll do this, even, even the Egyptians, 
then you won't be affected by it. When, when such things like when the hail came down, they said, if you'll honor it, if you'll honor the word of the Lord and call you your cattle in and your servants in into, into a, a covering, then you won't be affected by it. And so there was a division there. Now here, death is going to come into the land. And God makes no distinction as to who it will affect. He says the firstborn of everyone, every family, whether you're a, 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 an Israelite or an Egyptian, the firstborn is going to die. Death is coming. Unless you do this. And Moses lays, or God lays out to Moses what needs to happen for, the, for people to be saved, for the firstborn to be saved. Now, in understanding, it's not just about who's the oldest. There's a lot that goes into that. We're not going to get into that right now for time's sake. But there's a lot that goes into being the oldest in this time. The oldest carries the weight of the family. All right, it's 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 the because it, when the dad dies, everything goes to the oldest son, everything. And then from there, he, he's able to disperse uh, uh, responsibilities to the family. But ownership goes to the oldest. You don't split it up. You'll see uh, over generations, you know, there, there would we read about ranches in Texas and and all in the south where these ranches used to be. Tens of thousands of acres. And so then, the, then uh, the, whoever the owner is, it, it's been passed down from generation to generation. And then, and then they'll have, you know, four or five kids. And so that maybe it's a 10,000 acre ranch and they have four kids. So then they divide it. And so now it's four 2,500 acre tracks. And then, and then those kids have kids. And then they divide it. And so it di divides lower and lower and lower. Before you know it, it's being sold out of the family. Like, well, I don't want this 50 acres. I want to live in the city or I don't want this, all this land. I want to do something different. And so it gets sold off. And so what this was meant to do in that time was to make sure that every generation after it is taken care of and has property and land. Something because they depended on it for agriculture. So there was a lot in this that 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 firstborn being dead was almost a, a death of a lineage. And it's almost like, okay, now the second has to come in. And they haven't been prepared for that because the firstborn was raised to do that. So it was really important, really important. And so there's a, there's a, uh, a judgment happening there. But he, Moses is instructed by God to do something. Every family is to take a one-year-old lamb have you ever seen a one-year-old lamb? I know we're kind of city folk, and so we don't really, we don't, you know, we don't, like, deal, we don't get home and, like, you know, to our little, our little, you know, farms or whatever. We're, we're going home to our apartments, our houses and stuff. And so, but a, a, a one-year-old lamb, most of the time when you see a picture of a lamb, right, it's the lamb that was slain, and it's cute and looks cuddly. It's like, like, you know, just very, well, a one-year-old lamb is, is a ram. You know, we have, we have uh, a, a golden doodle. We have two golden doodles, Kiko and Kuma. And our, our, one of them is two years old. One of them is one years old. Kuma is one year old. And he's big. Everyone thinks like, man, how old is that dog? And he's, he's, 
He's going to turn one in a couple of weeks. He's big, so dogs mature, animals mature so much faster, right? And so a one-year-old ram is, is, is a lamb is, is a ram. He would have horns. Do you remember in, uh, when, when we read about Abraham and, and, God, and God says, you know, Abraham said, I'm going to provide myself a, a, a sacrifice, right? And, he, and, they're, they're, and Abraham turns over and he's not to sacrifice um, Isaac anymore. And he turns a, a, over and he sees a, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. That would have been a one-year-old ram. This was a sign of things to come. And so here we have um, even further back with, with Moses. This is a sign. A one-year-old ram is to be taken in. It's not only to just be, you don't just go get a random one. It has to be the best of the best, unblemished. No scarring, no, no, you know, it's no funny spotting or striping, uh, unblemished. So it's a one-year-old ram, unblemished. You take that ram and it lives with you now for three days. It's to live with you for three days. So it's, you, you grow attached to this. It's now in your family, you're feeding it, you're making it, you're making it ready, and now you have to kill this thing. You have to slay this ram. So it's not like just some stranger, it's not like, you know, going to pick up some meat at the meat market. It's like you have a connection with this thing. It's been, it's been in your house. You've been combing it out. You've been making sure it doesn't get hurt so that it remains unblemished. It's the best of the best. It's part of your family, and now you have to slay it. So you slay this lamb. Now you have to collect a portion of its blood in a basin. You're going to cook the meat. You, cook, you have to cook everything in its entirety. You're going to spread with a hyssop branch. You're going to spread it, the, the blood, on the doorposts of your, of your house, on the, on the two side posts. And then the overhead post. So you have this blood that's shed and it's, and it's spread over the lamppost or, or the, uh, excuse me, the doorpost on two sides and above, all three sides. And then you're to eat the meat. You're to eat the meat. It cannot be boiled. It has to be cooked with fire. And you're to eat it with unleavened bread. Everything you do not eat, you have to burn. Okay? There can be nothing just left over. It, 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 you either eat it or you burn it completely. When you're eating it, you're dressed like to go. It's like you got, you, you got your shoes on, you, you, your, your finest robe, whatever the thing was that you wore at the time, you wore it like you were ready to go. Your staff in your hand, like you're ready to walk out the door. And you were to eat it hastily. You were eat, to eat it quickly. It wasn't like... You know, eh, just you know, you know, you know how at Thanksgiving you you eat a meal for like four hours. It's a like a long. This was not like that. This was like, hey, grab the church's chicken and let's go. We gotta go. You know, you know how you have to do it if you try to eat before before uh, church, and it's like, well, are we gonna eat after? No, we're eating before. Let's hurry up. You gotta cram it down, right? That's what you. That's this is like. It's it's urgent. You're dressed, ready to go. You're eating it. Whatever we don't eat, we're burning. We there's an urgency to this. There's not a procrastination because there's a time. There's a timeline here. You're supposed to do it at this certain time. At midnight, death is coming. At midnight, death is coming. 
Now, it's interesting that at midnight, we don't have, you know, we have a lot of light, what, what's called like light pollution, right, in the city. And so when you're in the city, you look up at night, even if it's a, a real clear day, you, you're limited on what you can see in the sky, right, just because there's so much light. I remember we, we took a trip. I don't remember where it was, but I remember it was out in West Texas. And my, my parents had, um, I don't remember if it was a pickup truck or in the suburban, what, what we had. Or, but we slept out. It was kind of like slept, slept outside, basically. But we slept in the bed of the truck or the, or the suburban back there in the back. And, and, and just as, as far as you could see, I mean, just, just stars. I mean, just, just this blank sky with stars everywhere. Like, you don't realize how many stars are out there until you're just out there and there's no light pollution. There's not, Like, what we see in the city or even around the city limits is nothing. You get out there where, where there's no lights, there's, no, no, there's no, no building, no nothing out there. It's just beautiful. I mean, you see the, the shooting stars. and I mean, it's just gorgeous, but it's just so beautiful. It just lit up. But in, in, this, in this time when there's, there's no moonlight, there's nothing, and it's just pitch black. Do you think you can see this, this crimson, this crimson, the, the color of blood, this dark, dark maroon? You don't see it. Mar maroon and, and, and black look almost the same at night, right? It's just, our eyes just don't pick it up. And so... In, with the naked eye, if someone were just walking by, you couldn't tell which doorpost was painted or not. But God sees it, right? So God, as death is coming, there's, there's, it's either going to stop in and go in the house or it's going to pass over the house. And that's where we get that, that, that term, Passover. It was only something God could see. And the people had to apply the blood. That's important. It, the lamb, it wasn't just kill the lamb. It was apply the blood. There, there was, everything had to be done accordingly. But I want to go back to the verse that we read. One of the verses that we read. The last verse in Exodus chapter 11 verse 7. It says this, but. In, but against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. Whether against man or beast, that you may understand. This is the phrase I want to look at right here. How the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. How the Lord makes a distinction. My question is this. What makes Israel or the people of Israel distinct from the people of Egypt? Think about that. What made them distinct? Was it morality? Were the people of Israel morally better than the people of Egypt? No. I forget, I think it might be Spurgeon who said that we are idol factories. We create idols. The people of Israel were no different. The people of Egypt were the same. Obviously, every one of those plagues correlated and res responded to, to actual a God they worshipped. 
So when the flies came, when the locusts came, when the hail came, when, when even when death comes, it's all corresponding to, to an idol that they worshipped. Well, we see later, and we will we'll see later, uh, if you've read through Exodus, and we're, we'll, we will read through Exodus, and you'll see that the, even the people of Israel began to create idols. The gold and silver that it said in those verses that they took from the people or they received from the people, eventually they went and made an idol, a golden calf out of this stuff. They wanted to worship something. You and I, if we don't worship God, we will worship a God. We can make a celebrity our God. We can make ourselves our God. We can make uh, sports our God. We can make, we can make anything our God. But we, we will have a God. It's, it's whether or not it's the one and true living God. Selah's been singing that song, uh, Every Other God is an Idol. And she says, is one, two living God. And uh, we're, we're really happy. She's narrowing it down. She's getting down to, to one. But uh, her theology is a little off, but we're getting there. But she's, she's only two, so we're, we, got, we got time. We got time. <laughs> but there is one true living God. And every other God is an idol. But was it their morality? Is that what set them apart? Was it their nationality? Was it just because, hey, we're the Israelites? There was really nothing different. There's nothing different. Nothing different about them. Is it their value as people, their intrinsic value? Were they more valuable because of who they were? Just somehow there was some better value. You know, when it comes to nationality, it, it every, every, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't, I've never lived in another country, but I do know in America we tend to think we are better because we're American. Even though most of us honestly haven't really done anything to make it that much better, like we're still, we're living off of other people's sacrifice, right? And like how many of you have died? For this country, right? No, you're still here, right? I haven't died for this country. And yet it's the, it's the people that have died that, that, you know, have made this country what it is today. It's not perfect, right? But, but we tend to think because of where, and the thing is, we, we had nothing to do with where we were born. And yet somehow that makes us better, and it's not true. So it's not morality, it's not nationality. We were at the mall yesterday. That's a, a zoo. And uh, we were at the mall yesterday, and we were actually in line. And there was someone in, in front of us, obviously very different upbringing, very young, young, young guy, young kid, and, uh, and teenager, and probably in his late teens or so, very, up different, very different upbringing. And, uh, and so we had a couple of our kids with us that was looking at this kid like, this kid is crazy. And, and you know, when kind of be, became a little bit showy about that, like almost like they were better than him, right? And, uh, and I'm not calling this to, to call them out too bad, but I just, we do that all the time, right? We, we see someone and, well, uh, at least I'm not like that guy, right? But one of the things I was telling him, I said, look, you, one of the things you, you need to understand is everyone has value. Everyone has value. That guy, it, it guy looked like he didn't, maybe he didn't value himself, 
but he has value. Everyone has value. And so it wasn't that the Israelites were more valuable as, as, uh, as human beings than the Israelites. I mean, the, it wasn't that the Israelites were more va- valuable as human beings than the Egyptians. That wasn't it. They were not worth more. It was simply the only reason death passed by was because they applied the blood. There, this is a foreshadowing of what was to come. Right? We see it with Abraham. There's a foreshadowing. We see it with Adam and Eve. There's a foreshadowing. Now we're seeing it with Moses and, the, and Pharaoh in this, in this uh, cross-up that there's a foreshadowing of what, what's going to happen with Jesus. That we know now we don't have we no longer have to shed a lamb. Why? Because there was a lamb that was shed. Right? So a lamb was 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 killed in place of the firstborn son. Well, now a, a lamb, the lamb, the perfect lamb, Jesus, has been slain for us. Right? And so what do we do? We apply that blood. The lamb is Jesus, first and foremost. You and I could not be the lamb. Why? We had blemish. We're not perfect. So it couldn't be us. The other thing is they were to apply the blood, not the work that went into it. It wasn't the work that went into putting the blood on the post that made death pass over. It was the blood itself. Sometimes we can get so caught up in the, in the morality works that we forget about the blood that works, right? It's, there's the, the, we can get so caught up in, in crossing every I, dotting every T, making, you know, am I, am I being the perfect Christian? Am I, am, I, am I doing the right things? Did I take the right communion? Did we, did we sing the right song? Did I give a right, the right amount of money in church? Did I do all the works and all those things are good? Unless you forget to apply the blood. Without the blood, it would have all been the, the, the death would have entered, killed him, and went right out. Right? If you if you go through all the, the, the rigmarole of, of I killed the lamb, I did that, I ate it, I did this, and you never applied the blood. And it's not the works, it's not the work that goes into it that saves us, it's the blood itself. Now, what makes us distinct from the world as Christians if we are Christians and we're saying we have applied the blood what makes us better than the world are we are we worth more let let me ask you are we better than the world are we better that's a tough question right because we want to say yes we're not better we're better off but we're not better Let me ask you this. You still sin? You are a sinner. What what makes that? What's the difference between you and the world? The world's full of sinners. The church is full of sinners too, right? So it's it's not morality. Is it the fact that we gather? Well, people gather all over, Right? There's concerts, people gather. There's, there's sporting events, people gather. It's not the gathering. It's not even the what you do with the gathering. 
All right? Some people will, will gather to do this and that. It's, it's nothing to do with that. It's not the gathering. The only thing that, that separates us as saved, quote unquote, saved and unsaved, because that's what was, that was the thing. Israel was the saved people. The Egyptians were the, became the unsaved, right? The saved, the unsaved. The only difference between the saved and the unsaved is the blood. Now that changes how we gather. Because we're not gathering to be better. We're gathering to celebrate that he was better. We had an opportunity to, to apply the blood. We did it. Now we get to celebrate with the other people that are sinners and wretched people just like us. But the, the thing that gathers us together is, hey, you're a wretched sinner. Me too. But I applied the blood. Hey, we're, we're, we're in this together. Right? Not like, hey, me and you, we're better than that guy. Right? Because what does that do? That, that, that begins to put us as the Savior. And you and I, we cannot save ourselves. We, we can try, but we'll fail every time. Because it comes down to us being unblemished, us being able to take the punishment, take the responsibility of the sin, the punishment for sin, it, it, we fall, we're going to fall short every single time. And it's not morality. There's, you know, there, there's some, some of the worst ugly people that I've met have been in the church. And the other worst ugly people have been out in the world. Some of the great moral people that I've met have been in the church. And some of the great moral people I've met have been out in the world. That's the reality. The, 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 so the, 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 the stark reality, the, the great reality is that the thing that separates us is the blood. Now, in this, I'm talking about being saved. All right? Being saved. There are three things or three phases or three types of salvation, however you want to put it. There is that we were saved, right? And that is the application of the blood. We are saved. We were saved, right? We were saved. Then there's the, the idea of now I'm, I'm stepping into holiness, right? A, a, a church word for that would be sanctification. I'm being sanctified and set apart. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been redeemed. Now, I, now I'm being sanctified, right? I'm, I'm stepping into this. I, I'm, I, I am more, better morally now. I'm, try, I'm trying. I want... The, the gift that I have called salvation, I want to live a life that's worthy of that, right? Or, or that is rep, good, not worthy, worthy is kind of a, a stretch. Maybe that it, a good representation of that. Like, do am I living like a person who was saved from something? It's kind of like someone who, who, who you know, eats unhealthy and, and does all kind of unhealthy things, and then they have to get a heart transplant. And are, do they, when, now that they have the new heart transplant and they have a new lease at life, do they live like someone who has a new lease on life 
or do they live like someone who just takes it for granted, right? The, and so it's like, no, I'm, I, I'm not doing that again. I've been given a new heart. I, you know, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to whatever those things are. Or do I, you know, like, hey, I got a new heart. I can double down now, you know, like I got a heart of an 18-year-old now. So you can take it for granted. But sanctification says, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I want to I live a life that's, that's a good representation that I am someone who is saved. I want to be better in this area. So that's, I was saved to I am being saved, and then eventually we, we will be saved, right? And that's this, this giving of a new body, this a heavenly body, and that, that happens when Jesus returns. But that's, that's the distinction. The distinction in all of it is the blood, is that you're applying the blood to your life. That I am applying the blood to my life. And this is something we have to do daily. We have to remind ourselves daily. Paul Moreno, this is not about you. Okay? You you can put your name in there. I'll put mine in there. But it's not about me. I did not do this. I did not earn this. I did not earn salvation. It's not on me. What I did was I recognized the need for it. Imagine, imagine being in Egypt that night when the 10th plague comes. And you know yourself. You know what you were doing that day, that week, that night before. And, and imagine how scary that is, that you've seen all nine plagues happen, and you know this tenth plague is happening because you've seen the other nine. You know God's not messing around. It's going to happen. And now here you are. It's, you've eaten the lamb. You've, you've applied the blood. Imagine the nervousness. Did I apply it right? Did you put, how many coats did you put? Did you, are you sure you got the top? If I'm the old, I'm the oldest son of my family, man. If I know like, hey, it's coming, I'd be out there looking at the post, making sure. Are you sure? Is that blood? All right. Is it the right goat? The right, right lamb? What? Like, make sure, did we do everything? My life depends on this. And knowing that there's nothing you could do to earn it other than applying the blood. And there's going to be someone in the next house who's going to die. Your buddy, your friend you've been hanging out with, your friend you've been doing all the nonsense with is going to die. And the only thing that distinguish, uh, dis, the only distinction between you and that other person is that you applied the blood. That's it. That's it. The only distinction between you and those other Egyptians is that you applied the blood. That's it. That's the only thing that separates us. Is the blood. Now once you have applied the blood, there's nothing that can separate you from the Lord. You keep the blood applied. You keep it applied. And, you, you, and, and now that you know that, now that you've been saved, now you want to start telling other people about this blood. The only thing that makes me different than you is I applied the blood. That's it. 
well, I know, I, you know, I'll go to church, I'll go to church. And I'm not talking, no, 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 we're not talking about going to church. Going to church doesn't save you. We go to church to, to, to praise God who saved us. To give thanks, we gather as his children and say, thank you, Father. Because a lot of times you'll talk to people about Jesus and, yeah, and the first thing, that yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to go to church. Oh, yeah, okay, that's great. There's a lot of people in church that don't apply the blood to. The thing is, what was distinct about the 10th plague is it was coming for everyone. You know, death is coming for everyone. I told you about the other, the other day I went golfing with a guy 82 years old and he was talking about death like it was nothing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, one day I'm going to die. I got a brother 10 years older than me. He's 91. I got another brother 94. Yeah, we're all going to die. It was just like, oh my gosh. Like, like it was nothing. It's easy for me to, man, I can't remember the last time I thought about me dying other than when Jen tells me that I'm eventually going to die. We have these weird, weird conversations about death in our house. But we know it's coming for everyone, right? No matter how old, no matter how young, it's we're, we're going to be there. And that's the way this, this death came. And the only thing, once we stand before the Father, the only, the only distinction He's going to make is, is, has this one been covered by the blood? If so, we can pass over. We can pass over. We can pass over. And so the, 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 excuse me, the Israelites, every year, the people of Israel celebrate Passover. Well, when we celebrate Easter, and Easter is just right around the corner, when we celebrate Easter, what we're, what we're doing is we're celebrating the, our Passover. Where God, where God said, hey, if you apply the blood, I'm going to pass over. I'm going to pass over. It'll be, it really, we're, we're celebrating in faith our future Passover when we stand before the Father and He says, hey, come on in. Come on in. Because death has passed over you. I see you and all I see is blood. Not your blood, I see the blood of my Son, the perfect Son. Perfect, perfect sacrifice. Father, we thank You. Lord, I thank You as, as we go forward and in this time of Lent, as we're, as we're fasting and praying, Lord, I thank You, Lord God, that during this time we would not forget and it's not about the works of the fast. It's not about the works of, of you know, certain things that, that we have going on during Easter season. And, and this, Lord God, that it all be about your blood. That, Lord, you pass over us. When death comes, it passes over us. Not because of our works. Not because of how good we were or tried to be. But Lord, that we applied your blood. I thank you, Lord God, that we would live a life that's represent a, a good representation of someone who, who recognizes the sacrifice that you paid, that you gave your life for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if this message or any of the content that we've been putting out has blessed you and you're wondering how you can partner with us in generosity, there are a couple ways to do that. You can download the PushPay app and you can search Marigold Church and you can give that way. You could also set up reoccurring giving and it's really user-friendly. It makes it really easy to give. 
You could also text Marigold to 77977 and give that way. We believe God moves through a generous heart. And so we would love to see what God does through you as you partner with us and as we walk through this journey together.